Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and with your heavenly will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a soft spot for cheap, tacky glitz, but I've never felt at ease in a casino. I'm a fortunate man, and I have a lot to be grateful for, but I'm not especially confident in my odds of winning a coin toss or a hand of cards. I'll often preface my predictions with the phrase, if I were a betting man, emphasis on the if to indicate that I am not much of a gambler. It's not that I think gambling is inherently sinful, per se, I just think it's usually a bad idea. Some people will tell you that rolling the dice is an affront to God's omniscience, an insult to the divine plan, because everything is foreordained, and chance doesn't enter into the equation. For my part, I don't believe that God has a specific plan, but rather a will and a desire for us, and I think luck still plays a role, at least in our material fortunes. Shortly after my 21st birthday, I made my first and last foray to the Mohican Sun Casino, a towering monstrosity in the hinterlands of Connecticut. In spite of all the free drinks, everyone struck me as extraordinarily on edge, uptight. The dealers at the card tables especially were coiled like springs, impatient and humorless. Don't lean on the table, sir. Keep your hands where I can see them, sir. Get your feet off the table, sir. Jeez, these guys are a drag. And don't even think about getting anywhere near them. As I was strolling between the poker tables, I accidentally wandered a bit too close to one of the dealers. A security detail sprang out of the woodwork and physically escorted me out of the area. Not a pleasant place. Looking around at the clientele, I couldn't decide if anyone was actually enjoying themselves. Many were dressed up for a night out, but there was a tightness around their eyes and an air of distress in their laughter that seemed unnatural. For my part, I had brought about $100 to play with, and in 15 minutes, most of it was gone, cast into the bottomless sea of slot machines and blackjack tables. The house always wins. The end almost seems preordained, if not by God, then by the rules and algorithms that govern the gaming industry. That said, I still believe in luck. And really, I'm a pretty lucky guy. I'm reasonably healthy, I have an amazing wife and two beautiful children, and I'm gainfully employed in work that feels meaningful in a remarkable church. In a year that has devastated our collective health and our economy, I have been spared the worst of it. Lucky. Or in the parlance of Christianity, perhaps it's more appropriate to say that I am blessed. People have on occasion corrected me when I've called myself lucky. No, Seth, they've gently reminded me, you're blessed. 
But now we've gone and opened a theological can of worms. You see, if God has blessed me with good health and material fortune, why has God not blessed the homeless orphan in the gutters of Calcutta, who probably deserves it more than I do, with as much? When we say that some people are less fortunate than us, what we really mean is that they've been dealt a bad hand of cards. But we don't mean to say that God has spitefully withheld something from them. Do we? Perhaps the notion of blessing requires a closer look before we toss it around too lightly, like so many plastic chips at a poker game. There are over 400 references to blessings in the Bible. You'd better get comfortable. No, I'm not really going to read them all, but it's worth pointing out that the context is not always consistent. In the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, blessings are usually material in nature. A person is blessed with prosperity, lots of heirs and cattle and land, that sort of thing. When Isaac blesses his son Jacob, he confers his inheritance upon him. When God blesses Abraham, God promises to make a nation of his offspring. When the Psalms promise God's blessing to those who are faithful, and only to those who are faithful, it is not freely given. It is a reward, a transaction in exchange for good behavior. This is the essence of the so-called prosperity gospel, championed by televangelists everywhere. If you do the right things, trust in God, then God will reward you, bless you with material wealth. According to this perspective, blessings are always transactional, and by extension, those who are poor, well, they apparently can't afford it or aren't deserving of God's blessing. But I don't believe that, and neither did Jesus. Blessed are the poor, he says in the Gospel of Luke. Now, in general, blessings in the New Testament are of a more spiritual nature. There's no better illustration of this than Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, which, as I said earlier, differs a little bit from the one in Luke. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. For Jesus, we aren't blessed with material possessions or social standing. We are blessed with things like compassion, mercy, justice, love. A blessing isn't something that you can win at a blackjack table. It isn't something that you can win or earn at all. It's something that God freely gives. And friends, it's something that we freely give each other. Lying in bed with my older son before he goes to sleep, he often worries aloud about the future. He's worried about global warming, nuclear war, disease, racism. He worries about what the world is going to look like by the time he's all grown up. There's plenty to be afraid of, 
I mean, it probably doesn't help that my favorite song to listen to every morning on the way to school is called Anarchy Road, the chorus chanting in 2070 or so, tenements on fire blazing through the endless nights and behind every spy hole, car wrecks and barbed wire, dirty streets and knife fights. I mean, kids would probably rather listen to a top 40 station or something. But in all seriousness, my paternal instinct is to calm his fear in that moment. And while it feels weird to minimize something like climate change, I try to remind him that he is lucky to have been born into circumstances that keep him relatively safe. He lives in the North American Midwest where rising sea levels and deadly temperatures are far away. He's growing up in a loving, middle-class family that can take care of him and nurture his passions and talents. He's white, which affords him more privilege than it should. And while I don't want him to abuse that privilege or to stop caring about the world's very real and very serious problems, I also don't want him to be afraid to grow up. You're going to be fine, I try to reassure him. I get all of that, Dad, he tells me, and, and I'm grateful. But, but what? I ask him. But I'm worried about everyone else. Luck, it seems to me, has everything to do with one's material circumstances, the things that dictate one's place in the social hierarchy. These are the result of chance, hard work, and constructs like race and gender that are determined by our collective human experience. And by that definition, my son is very lucky. But it's his caring heart, nurtured by people who love him, that make him blessed. And it's what makes him a blessing. A person can be both lucky and blessed because they each refer to different states of being, different economies if their own, with their own currency, if you will. Luck is a matter of material wealth and circumstances, but blessings are traded with spiritual currencies like love and compassion and gratitude. I'm lucky because I'm rich, but I'm blessed because I am loved. When we bless things and people here in church, we give thanks for them and we pour our collective goodwill upon them. When we bless the kids' backpacks every year in the fall, we're telling our kids that we've got their back, that we love them and we care about them, and that God loves them and cares about them, and that together we will help them to carry their burdens. When we bless a newly baptized child, the church names them as God's beloved, and our beloved, as we pour our love upon them like water, promising to nurture them together. And when we give of our treasure to sustain this community, we share our gratitude and love. It's not a transactional exchange or a cashing in of chips. I mean, just look at your charitable giving statement for the IRS, which asserts that the only thing you receive in return are intangible religious benefits. No. 
We give our blessing freely as God gives it freely to us. I was in South Dakota many years ago when I wandered into a ramshackle casino off the side of the road in need of the ATM that stood in the corner. At a glance, it was everything the Mohican sun was not. It was small and dimly lit rough around every edge. The scattered handful of customers were not there to have a good time. They were hunched nervously over gaming tables and slot machines, wearily trekking back and forth to the ATM to draw a little more of their savings. Maybe I shouldn't judge by appearances, but to me, they looked desperate. But in reality, the Mohican Sun Casino isn't much different if you strip away the glossy veneer. Maybe every place really is the same. Every casino and shopping mall and church filled with people who are looking for something. We are all in need of a blessing. Someone to love us, to care for us, to nurture us. And no matter how lucky a person gets, those blessings are the only thing that can fill the void within us. And so maybe grateful for the blessings we have already received, we can be that blessing for each other. Amen.